Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. And welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Greetings to you all. Happy Lord's Day. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, what was it they used to say in the olden days? Good morrow. Good morrow. Good yeah. morrow. So that stuck around, man. I God guess. be with you. I mean, yeah. God, goodbye. God be good. Good goodbye. Yeah. Goodbye. God, God be with Godspeed. you. Godspeed. They used to say that yeah. too. I still say that. Godspeed to you. Do you? I mean, not frequently, but I say it. Do you drive Godspeed? Uh, God goes fast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's Sunday, but yesterday morning, which was Saturday, we had our first men's Bible study gathering. That was so cool. It was awesome. I mean, the only way it could have been better is if there were fireworks. Fireworks would have been great. And maybe some brisket. But besides that. Yeah. I don't think uh, Kelly would have appreciated us shooting off fireworks in her house. Uh, well, newsflash, she wasn't there. She wouldn't have known. She. That's true. That's true. Sean seems like a guy that would be all in. I, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Sean would have been all over that. So. Brisket and fireworks. <laughs> Sounds like a good time to me. It's it's the perfect rest. Men's ministry. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Never mind. Anyways. Um, no, it was awesome. It was so good. So encouraging for us as, uh, as pastors. And we talked a lot about it uh, yesterday morning, but just the importance of strong godly men in the church. And uh, we have the seeds of what looks like a, a pretty strong the group of guys. Of yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so pretty excited to see what God's going to do through that. Yeah, yeah, I, I suspect. I mean, God willing, given given what the vibe was, I suspect that this is just the beginning of something really, really cool. I think so, man. I think so. Well, it's starting great. with the reality that we outdrew the ladies. I mean, I don't want to boast or brag a lot, but a little bit is warranted. Un poquito. <laughs> ladies, don't feel bad. I mean, the, the women's ministries, like in any church, are always like 10 million times larger and the ladies are super smart. And Not today, Satan. Not today. <laughs> are the ladies Satan? No. I'm okay. saying Satan, like derailing the men. This Satan. Is, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll let you have that one. I'm not going to dig into that one too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Today or yesterday rather was, was really cool. I, I'm, I'm pumped. And the ladies, are, you know what? The thing is ladies and children benefit the most when the men step up and do their thing, man. So they will thrive even more. So we're actually creating the, the context wherein the ladies flourish even more greatly than they already are. Truth. hundred percent. Those so, are facts. Those are facts as the younger generation says. Yeah. Spitting fire. Yeah. And I found out that lots of our guys were born south of Nebraska. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> what an unusual... We played this game, for those of you guys who don't know. We played this game where... The goal was to identify commonalities between you and the other four guys or three or four guys in your circle. And the group that had the most unique commonalities would win. And so, of course, you throw all these guys in a room and they're in these groups. They find the most obscure commonalities. We are a very detailed group at this church. I mean, I, I, and it's funny because I think Angelo, Angelo Trinidad was the one who was running our game. He's like, all right, the, the winning team will get these gift cards. And I think everybody won. Yeah, everybody, everybody won because everybody had this obscure unique commonalities that no one else would think of that's true that's true so everybody wins 
Well, speaking of everybody wins except for, you know, the nations that God's judging, let's turn to Isaiah. Okay. Let's do it. That was rough. I, you know, it's, come to, I, it's come to be what I expect. <laughs> I just, I, I roll with it now. This is it. This is it. Isaiah 22, 23 today. I might even start liking it. <laughs> Probably not, but maybe. And then Ephesians chapter three as well. Um, hey, listen, Pastor Ron and I were talking about this beforehand. If you're sitting there going, man, Isaiah is, is hard. Uh, welcome to the club. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And amen. Yeah. We feel that too. And, uh, there's in, in not just us, but the, the people smarter than us that have written commentaries on this, they, they feel it because yeah. this is a challenging section. And I right. say something like that. It could mean this. It also could mean this. It yeah. also could be this date or that date. Yeah. It, I'm not looking at one of my commentaries right now. It is not certain which Assyrian invasion Isaiah was speaking of in these verses. Right. Talking about chapters 20, uh, chapter 22, the first 14 verses. So, I mean, there's so much about scripture right. that is just so challenging and hard. Right. And, and it's just like what Peter says about Paul's writing. It's hard to understand what he's saying sometimes. I think that's okay to acknowledge that we're, we're, we're trying to read back into something that made sense to them. They perfectly understood what it meant. Even then, actually, I take it back. They didn't perfectly understand because they, they missed some of the context in which uh, Isaiah speaks of. And we understand it now because we're looking backward right. and Isaiah was looking forward. Right. So uh, don't be discouraged. I guess I, I was like pounding myself on the head thinking, how are we going to talk through some of this stuff? And I feel the pressure and I feel like, man, we just need, give me like 12 more hours yeah. to study these chapters and I'll feel better. Yeah. And, and so if you're sitting out there going, okay, great. So what am I supposed to do? Uh, let me encourage you this way. If, if you were, yeah, just I'm get, encouraged already. <laughs> awesome. Good <laughs> words. Um, if you find yourself a good trusted resource, commentary, whatever that is that, that you can lean on and that you, you trust the authorship behind it. You trust the contributors to it. If it's a multi, you know, authored uh, work, uh, find a good commentary, lean into that and, and just hold it loosely on some things with this, but don't feel like you've got to go out and consult, you know, 10 different commentaries on there to, to try to figure out what Isaiah is talking about. Entrust yourself like you we'll do, do that. To, to pastors, right? <laughs> we'll try Entrust yourself to your pastors and when they, you know, when they're preaching through a passage and entrust yourself to a, a good solid commentary or study Bible, when you're going through, it's not to say that they're without their own problems from time to time, but feel the freedom to do that. And that's why it's important to, to have something good like that, that you can turn to. Yeah. Small gains. I'm, yeah. I'm all of the, the small gains. If you walk away with something, a little more knowledge than you had before going in, I think that's a win. Yeah. Yeah. So let's try to impart some of that. All right. So Isaiah 22, um, opens with uh, a confrontation of some celebration that's taking place. The prophet is unhappy that um, Jerusalem is rejoicing and celebrating. And so there's questions like Pastor Rod was just alluding to. What is the context here? What are they celebrating? And, and there's thought that, well, maybe they're celebrating the fact that Assyria had been camped outside of the city and finally turned away. And so they're celebrating that. Or maybe they're celebrating another defeat of Assyria later on at a different time. Uh, but regardless, the, the prophet's point here is don't boast too much because there's a future coming where your leaders are going to fail you miserably and the Lord is is going to 
bring you and your people into judgment. Um, and if it's happened once to, to others, if it happened to Assyria, if it happened to these other nations, don't think that it can't happen to you as well. Um, and so he's, he's pleading with his people to learn from the lessons that they're seeing through the way that God is dealing with these other nations, which again is this theme all the way through chapter 23 of God's sovereignty over the nations. And he's pleading that Israel would, uh, would, would make that acknowledgement that Judah would understand and, and not follow in the footsteps of these other nations, but yet he is receiving and an understanding from the Lord that that's not going to happen. And that's verses 12 and 13, that the joy and gladness that you're experiencing now, man, God is going to turn that on its head because you are going to fail in trusting him instead of turning to these other people. So the fact that we even think that it is or understand that it's Israel um, is from the fact that God calls in the Valley of Vision and later clarifies, and it's, it's pretty clear, he's talking to his own people. Why the Valley of Vision? What does that represent? Well, again, we're going to direct you to, uh, find yourself a good Bible commentary. And I think one of the safe ones we talked about too so far, we've talked about uh, the MacArthur Study Bible, um, which he suggests that this, of course, is the is them, and the the Valley of Vision is kind of a term, uh, a term of irony. You, you have access to the visions that I'm giving you, and yet you're kind of willfully blind to what they suggest, what they tell you to do. So uh, when reading through a chapter like this, uh, all you have to do, verse five also talks about the Valley of Vision. Um, you also get a sense of the audience. When you look at verse eight, he's taking away the covering of Judah. So he's starting to use terminology now. It's a little more familiar to us. Um, just uh, it's, it's hard to read through some of this stuff, but you have to keep in mind the context always. Uh, that great Kokel, uh, famed apologist, will always say, and I think it's helpful to, to the extent that you take it, uh, never read a Bible verse. Uh, you always want to read with context in mind. Yeah, no, that's helpful. It is helpful. It, it, then he he signals out this guy, Shevna or Shebna, here in the the last half of of uh, chapter twenty two, I think is representative of the the problem facing things. Is is this guy even in the face of impending death is concerned about himself? It, he's it's the pride, it's the arrogance. He's building his tomb. He's saying, look, okay, yeah, maybe I'm going to go down, but I'm going to go down and I'm going to be honored and I'm going to be you know remembered well and look at the opulence of my death. What a strange character. He's a, a weird character in the Bible. Yeah, yeah, and and. God is, is through Isaiah saying, Hey, look, this is, <laughs> you're going to be literally, he says, you're going to be thrown like a ball. <laughs> like what an interesting concept that is, right? That, that yeah. Isaiah had that, that concept of, of throwing a ball that he's recording here in, in this, this prophecy, the football. you're going to be thrown away. Like you think you're going to have a permanent resting place. You're not, you're going to be out in, in the wilderness. You're going to be a victim of war and, and it's not going to be something that you're going to be remembered. You're going to be lost. It's basically what he's saying here. So he's again, confronting the, the arrogance there and the pride that's represented in Shebna that I think is indicative of the nation as a whole. That is a humorous image, isn't it? The fact that he says, oh, look, you, you think you're going to have security and stability and, and long-term honor. Yeah. No, you're insecure. You're going to be tossed like a, like a child's toy yeah. across the field, and, and that's where you're going to stay. Yeah, and, and then there's this other character, though, Eliakim in there. And Eliakim has the keys of the city of David or the keys of, the, of, of David in his hands, which is a New Testament concept that's picked up and applied to the church. And the one with the keys of David was the one who granted access to the king. He was the one that would allow people in and and keep people out from seeing the king. Mm-hmm. And so here you have this person, Eliakim, who is a historical figure of that. In the New Testament, then it's the church who does that. And then ultimately in Revelation, it's Jesus who has the key of David. And uh, and so there's there's this uh, spiritualization that, that is ultimately realized in the fact that this is a, a role that Christ is going to hold for who gets to be into the, the ultimate kingdom and not the, the earthly kingdom here. Um, but Israel, even in trusting in a guy like Eliakim to be 
be the safeguard. That's not going to work either because he says if you, you trust him, he's going to collapse. Uh, the load that was on it will be cut off for the Lord has spoken. He's, he's talking there. You can't even trust in Eliakim in this position either um, because he will fail as well. I think the idea here is that faulty, I mean, every human, even the best of men are men at best. Yes. Faulty, frail human leadership will always in some way fail you. And it's not to say that you shouldn't trust your leaders, your pastors in our case, or or, or just leadership in general. I think we're, we're dependent upon that, but we should not have our ultimate trust in them. It's the same idea where we trust God, but we still go to the doctor. You know, yeah. we, we go see the doctor for this or that situation, but we're not trusting in the doctor. We're trusting in the Lord. Right, right. Well, chapter 23, he turns to Tyre. Um, it, it, this is a region that would have been as pretty much as far west as they knew to go at this time. So you had Babylon to the east that he's already addressed. Now you've got Tyre over to the west, and there's a, a prophecy against Tyre and the destruction of Tyre, although the, the ultimate destruction and downfall of Tyre would not come until probably around 330, 332 BC. Um, so th- some of this is, is quite a ways in the future, about 400 years or so uh, from where I- Isaiah is at this point. But he's uh, really, again, God's sovereignty over all the nations. He- he's covering all of his bases here from the east to the west. God is sovereign in those nations that rebel, and, and Tyre was one of them, known for its materialism and its idolatry, um, certainly not a, a God-fearing nation, they would suffer as well. Um, and even the warning that is issued down in verse 13 to Tyre is, hey, remember Babylon, behold Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans. You need to remember what happened there, and this is a warning uh, against trusting in Tyre or uh, a warning for them that are the inhabitants therein as well. Yeah, they were a coastal city, so they, they had access. So if you notice the the reference to the sea and to the coast and to the ships, they were a coastal city. And, and as such, they were they were fairly wealthy. They had access to uh, imports and, and lots of other goods. And so uh, the idea here in this particular context is, hey, don't, don't put your trust or hope in human wealth and riches. Even those cities that are established, I mean, we th- I think of Beverly Hills. Those are, you know, our Malibu and, and our old region, Newport Beach, where we used to live. Those areas are opulent and had access to great power and resources. And yet those are the very things that can deceive you into thinking that you're strong when in fact you're quite vulnerable because God himself is the one who dictates the judgment. Yeah. Yep. Verse 15, really quick, it says, in that day, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years. Now, there's a question as to what the 70 years, 70 years, you may re- recall, is a significant number later on for Daniel, as he's realizing the, the captivity and, and things there in, in that regard. But here, this is a different kind of a 70 years. This is a 70 years that's not the same. This is referring uh, to another time period. Some believe that this is from Sennacherib to the eventual downfall of Assyria, and that was about 70 years, and that's the time frame that's being considered here. Um, it could be, give or take, somewhere around there, but this is, I just wanted to call, this is a a different 70 years. This is not the same as the the captivity. Quote, ESV study Bible, the 70 years are difficult to identify historically. (laughs) Amen. ESV study Bible. Yes. They spoke truth. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, that's our Old Testament reading. That's Isaiah 22, 23. So now that you're a hundred percent clear on the, what those passages mean. Now that we've explained everything you've ever wanted to know about it. But I, I think if we can grab broad strokes of Isaiah, I think that's going to help. If we can begin to understand uh, kind of the, the breadth of what we're doing here, which again, in Isaiah, uh, these, these chapters that we've been looking at here, he's talking about God's sovereignty over the nations, that God is the, the judge and the ruler. And again, to, to go back to the very beginning of our time in Isaiah, our, our general breakdown is judgment in chapters 1 through 35, the historical break or interlude in chapters 36 through 39, and then salvation focus in chapters 40 through 66. So we're still in the judgment period here in Isaiah. And so that's helpful for us to kind of 
put our, 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 our eyes on that and, and remind ourselves of that. And that a lot of this right now is for Judah's instruction to try to prevent what's going to eventually happen, unfortunately, to Judah, which is their own downfall. So much of this is Isaiah reminding Judah, remember God's sovereignty and control over the nations and don't put your confidence in them. Amen. Well, let's turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter three. I like Ephesians. Yeah. This is way easier. You should preach it. (laughs) It's a good idea. I'm going to do that. Ephesians three, the mystery of godly or the mystery of God, the gospel words uh, revealed. (laughs) Is this your title or the ESV's title? This is the ESV's title. Uh, Okay. Yeah. You stop making your own titles, man. I, because Isaiah is taking too much time. (laughs) That's what it is. Yeah. That's what it is. Um, Hey, he's just come off of this concept of, of being one in Christ, and he's going to unpack that. He's come off of, remember, he's breaking down the dividing wall of hostility. There's one people of God. We talked about that at the end of our last episode there, that there's not two people in the future, but but really one. We both have access to the same God through the same resource, which is Christ. And then he's going to expound upon that, and he's going to talk about how that's the mystery of the gospel, that, that God would bring the Gentiles, that God would bring so many different people from different places to, to be united under one common reality and that and that is Christ which he's going to talk about the unity uh, tomorrow in, in tomorrow's passage in chapter 4 but here he's saying in verse 10 that the church uh, is is the source of, of revealing the manifold wisdom of God that's cool yeah that's so cool to be able to that, that the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places in other words the angels are looking at the church in awe of what God has done through forming the church angels and demons perhaps angels yeah and demons yeah well, okay, I guess they're both angels if we want to get technical. But yes, everyone's watching this. The rulers and the authorities. Hey, why is it rulers and authorities? Why why not just say the make it known to the angels in the heavenly places? What do you think's happening there where Paul's identifying these ruler authorities figures? He he does it oftentimes, right? He does right. it in Colossians when he talks about disarming the rulers he and disarmed, authorities. Right? right. Why not just say disarm the angels? Because of the the spiritual warfare that's implied here, I think. That that the so angels like generals and commanders, lieutenants. Yeah, that there's that there are angels that are are governing the affairs of men. And when, when earlier in Ephesians, we read that, that, uh, before Christ, we were following the prince of the power of the air. That's now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's, right. that's Satan, right? That the God of this world, as Paul calls him in second Corinthians chapter four, he's been given by God, a particular dominion over the affairs of this world right now. And his demons are part of the, the governance of that uh, of that world. And, uh, and so not only the demons, but, but the angels are also the administering spirits of God as well. They're, they're his messengers. They are sent to, to do his work right. with the authority that he's imbued, that he's given to them to do that. So, um, it, it's not just that they're messengers, but there is a, a weightiness behind them too. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too, to the, the church of Ephesus, um, they, they were really into magic and the occult, they had a, I mean, they had a very large presence there. You got to think, go back to Acts chapter 19. These people were not strangers to uh, the spiritual phenomena that maybe we look at today with a bit of a, a sideward glance. But back in their time, that was kind of their thing. Yeah. They were into that stuff. And, and I think Paul wants them to understand, hey, God is the God over all of those powers, all of those things that you guys have perhaps seen the the evil that people play with. God's God, God has sovereignty over even that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, notice how chapter three opens for this reason. <laughs> and then there's this M dash that's there. He's a pastor, man. He's got all, he got somewhere else sidetracked. 
Right. Because verses 2 through 13 are Paul just totally going off on something else. And then he's like, oh, yeah, yeah that's, that's right. For this reason. <laughs> and that's why verse 14 starts the same way as verse 1. Verse 14 is picking up the thought of the beginning of verse 1, but he got distracted by the the uh, the expounding in, in the other verses there in verse 1. But then he gives this prayer. And again, a, an amazing prayer, such a good prayer um, of, of us being strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. And then he says this, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. Pastor Rod, is, is Jesus living in my heart? Yes, he is physically in your heart. Is that not the answer you're looking for? <laughs> So I always, I always think of this because there was this little girl who's, you know, had grown up and her parents had taught her, you know, you need to ask Jesus into, into your heart. heart. Yeah. That so terminology. She, had, she had done that and she had to have an x-ray done at the, uh, somewhere. She had to have a chest ah, x-ray done. Yes. I heard this one. And so they were concerned about it and, uh, they, they, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to protect her and they're covering different parts to, to make sure that the radiation doesn't hurt her. And she was asking questions about that. Why, why are you doing that? And they were like, well, you know, to protect the rest of your body from the radiation. And she starts crying and her mom and dad are like, why are you crying? And she goes, because Jesus is in my heart and I don't want him to get hurt. Oh, that is so sweet, man. Sweet, but it's the danger of mis- misrepresenting what salvation really is. Right. Yeah, and I guess part of that, I, you can't blame her. I, so no, the, the not, terminology. No, not at all. We try so hard to put spiritual things into practical terms for kids, and so I think there's a danger to that inherent. I mean, even the concept of ask Jesus into your heart, invite him into your heart. I think we all technically kind of understand what we're saying, but there's also that sense of, well, what does that really mean? Right. Verse 17, the, the word that we translated into in English is heart. Um, and I guess what we mean by that is, is really the inner man, right? We're not talking about the actual cardia. That's not what the word is there. Uh, cause cardia is the, is the heart, the word that's used, but we're not talking about the, the actual organ. We're just talking about the inner person. Christ does dwell with us in the inner person. And that's actually kind of complicated thought. Yeah. In what way does the spirit of Christ dwell with us? And I, I don't know if I can give you a clear answer to that, except to say that in some way, shape, or form, we are spiritually united to Christ by his spirit, and, and that's something beyond my even real comprehension. I don't know how that works. Yeah, I don't think we can point to the locus in a person as to this is where the spirit's dwelling in you right now, but I think we can point to the results of the spirit dwelling within us. Right. And we can see that, and we we see that evidence. And in this passage, I was reminded of Galatians 2.20. Um, it's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me, right? Um, in the life I now live, I live by faith in the son of God. So there's, there's, it's, it's, it's terminology that we use that doesn't mean literally what it looks like. It's, it's a metaphor for the, describing the experience that we have of the reality and the presence of, of Christ's new life in us. Uh, his righteousness in us that the spirit activates in our lives as he applies the word to our lives and changes us and transforms us. So yeah, I, I, it's, it's there. It, it doesn't mean this is grounds to say, Oh yeah, we, ask Jesus, Jesus we ask Jesus into our heart. Well, I guess it, I, I think that tells me two things. One, uh, God's okay with metaphor because that's the word Paul uses is cardia, which I mean, if you know cardiology, that's the same word, right? Cardia. Uh, that's the word that Paul chose. So metaphor is okay, but it's not without its dangers. We right. we lack we lack we potentially lack a, a lot of clarity with others. Right. Right.
Well, hey, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Yes, thank you. I'm encouraged by this text, especially the end there where he says, we're convinced that God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that he's just talked about that it's, is at work within us. And That's right. Uh, Pastor Ron and I are, are so thankful for this church and we are, are praying these types of prayers for our church and we are, are looking forward to God doing big things, yes. Lord willing, uh, for his glory through our church. So ask big things, church, mm-hmm. as, you're, uh, as you're praying and pleading to him. And we'll catch you again tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. See you Monday. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.